Well, we're on the uh, we're on the tail end of our series that's been going on now for well over 11 weeks on the Decalogue on the Ten Words. It's more popularly called the Ten Commandments, but technically it's the Ten Words, and that it's not just simply God delivering kind of legalistic rules for us to live by. It's sayings or words that describe what it means to have a healthy relationship with God and with others. And the more I've been delving into these words, the more profound they become. That really they summarize most every aspect of our moral life, of our relational life, of how to live in peace and harmony with God and others. And so today we're looking at Exodus 20, verse 16. It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So this week, we're looking at the command to not lie. Uh, you know, I, when I think about this idea of not lying, I always think that other people lie. I don't lie. I tell white lies. They're not black or gray. They're just white. They're very beneficial and useful, and they're always innocent. But other people, they do bad lying. I just do white lying. Well, uh, of course, that's not true. And this command is actually tied to the third command about not misrepresenting God. The idea of a lie is that it somehow misrepresents who God is and what he stands for. Anything, everything that comes out of God's mouth is truth. Everything that we say that contradicts that would be described biblically as a lie. What's interesting about this verse is that it says, you shall not give false testimony. It's courtroom language. And the idea is that our words are always on trial. They're being judged by God and by others, whether they represent him or whether they're false and, uh, and are a lie. It's possible to speak in such a way that we're a false witness. We are betraying who God is and what he stands for. And so God says, don't do that. In my courtroom or in a courtroom here, represent me speak the truth. Given its importance then, what is a lie? Well, a lie is simply deception. It's somehow deceiving someone else with our words. I like this definition. It's the, it's the best I can think of so far. A lie, lying bends words for self-serving purposes. It kind of bends what we say toward a self-serving agenda. It's not so much that we're trying to uh, say a wrong thing is what we're saying is kind of just puts us in a positive light, uh, makes it more comfortable for us. It's kind of self-serving. This is what lying is. It includes gossiping. Gossiping is lying because it doesn't tell fully what someone else is like and kind of misrepresents them, perhaps in a self-serving kind of way. It's downplaying things that we've done wrong. We lie when we say, well, I didn't really mean to, and it was somebody else's fault, and I got up late, uh, you know, I slept in, or whatever the excuse is, and we kind of downplay any wrongdoing and maybe accentuate what other people do wrong. It's exaggeration. It's telling a story in such a way that maybe paints us to be the hero of that story, or, uh, or when we feel like we've been insulted by somebody, we really make what they've done sound really, really bad. It can be exaggeration. It can be misleading. Well, we don't 
necessarily say a wrong thing, but we only say the things that kind of would lead people down a particular way of thinking that isn't entirely accurate. Could be hiding things. We're going to be talking a little bit later about what darkness is all about. And uh, we're just not forthcoming. We don't like talking about ourselves or talking about what we've done wrong. We hide. The opposite could be positivity. That everything's always fine in an unrealistic and lying kind of way. You know, if somebody asks you how you're doing, you go, great, it's always great. You go, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, everything's great. It's really good. Uh, that can be a form of lying. Bragging. Flattery. Oh, you look good today. I was wanting to sell you this thing. Uh, but, you know, it's this idea where we're flattering somebody in order to get something from them. Duplicity where we say one thing in one place and a different thing in another place. One that uh, I think is, is really important is a lie is not doing what you say you're going to do. Where you'll talk to somebody and they ask for a favor, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. And then you forget about it, you don't follow through. Actually, what you just did was you lied. You said you were gonna do something and then you didn't do it. All these things are lies. What all these lies have in common is they're fear-based. We are afraid of being judged, looking bad, getting into trouble. Uh, there's some kind of fear that causes us to bend those words for self-serving purposes. What this command emphasizes is that our words really matter. We can think that our behavior matters, which obviously it does, but our words matter just as much. So under the banner of do not lie can be other um, word kind of commands that are given in scripture, such as not cussing, not using coarse joking, that our words are, uh, are on trial as it were, and, they, and it matters what we say. If you say an off color joke, it's not funny. If you have to swear in order to make a, uh, make a statement, then maybe your statement wasn't worth saying. If it can't carry its own weight, we don't uh, add on to it with, um, with curse words. So lying is a big deal, and it can look in all kinds of different ways. Why is this idea of lying so important? Why does God hate it so much? Well, the primary reason why is that it destroys trust. In Proverbs 12, 22, it says, the Lord detests lying lips but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The huge problem with lying is it undermines trust. I don't know if you have uh, tried to be in relationship with a chronic liar. Sometimes those liars are because they have an addiction. Others, it's just kind of a, a way that they've coped with life. But if you've ever tried to draw close to a liar, you know how difficult it is because you never know that what they're saying is whether it's true or not. And it undermines trust at its very core. Um, Ernst Hengstenberg, isn't that a great name? Listen to what he says about lying. The true definition of a lie is not to consciously tell an untruth, but to abuse trust. So take advantage of, to hope that somebody's going to trust you so that you can deceive them. It's, uh, it's horrible. And it stands in direct contrast 
to building trusting, transparent relationships. It's a very big deal. Uh, this is emphasized in Acts chapter 5. It's the story of, this is the very beginning of the church. And, uh, and there's what people did in that early church is they would sell some property and then give that money to the church. Well, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They thought that this is a really great thing. They participated in it. But what they did is they didn't give all the money to the church. They said they did, but they didn't really. They kept some of it for themselves. It would have been fine, except that they lied. Now, listen to this. This is how God thinks about lying. It's the beginning of the church. This is what Peter said to Ananias. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you receive for the land. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. He's dead. Sapphira comes a short while later, agrees with the lie, and then Peter says, the ones who buried your uh, husband are now going to bury you, and she falls down dead. God takes lying incredibly seriously because there's no way to build community and relationship on a person who's given to falsehood. It's not a small matter. Even the fact that we call some lies white tells us that we don't take as seriously as God does the idea of having integrity with our words. But it's a very, very big deal. Lying then defames God. It contradicts his definition of reality with ours that kind of bends the truth for self-serving purposes. It undermines community. And finally, lies actually just hurt us. There's a woman who's done a lot of study on how the brain works and, um, and how telling ourselves lies, what it actually does inside of our brain. Listen to this. Research shows that 75 to 98% of mental and physical and behavioral illness comes from one's thought life. It, come, it doesn't come from our genes that we were we have a predisposition toward alcoholism or heart disease or something like that. Of course, that's true, but 75 to 98% comes from, from our, uh, our thoughts. It doesn't come from our genes or even from our environment. It comes from how we think. If you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. Words have power in all kinds of ways. You know, there's that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me. That's not true. Uh, I do lots of counseling with people who describe the kinds of uh, curses and lies that were brought on them, especially as a, as a young child, and most particularly damaging is by their parents. And those things get drilled into our mind. They end up defining us. And what comes out of believing those lies is, is mental illness, physical illness, and relational dysfunction. Uh, lies have far-reaching effect. Here's the problem, is that lying isn't just an event. I said something wrong. Fine, I'm sorry, all right? It's not just an event, it's actually a state of mind. Lying, uh, when it's taken to its uh, logical conclusion, is actually a way to live where we live in the darkness instead of the light, 
We prefer deception. We prefer not to be known. We prefer to describe things in certain ways that put us in a good light or help us avoid uncomfortable topics. Darkness can actually be a state of mind where we don't want the light. In John 3, it talks about where people love the darkness because they didn't want to be seen. In 1 John 1, 6, it says this, if we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. How comfortable do you feel with being known? How do you feel about that? The things that you do wrong, are, is it all kept in the darkness or do you ever confess your sin? It's challenging to live transparently and, uh, and openly. Yet it can feel comforting. Darkness can feel like a safer place than being in the light. We can view the light as kind of a, uh, um, a spotlight that is just meant to highlight all that's ugly about us and then bring condemnation. But the Bible describes light as, as warmth and comfort. I know when I've done things in the past and the guilt just eats me up and there comes a, a time when I just, I can't bear the guilt and shame anymore and I finally tell somebody that relief in being known can be thoroughly overwhelming in a beautiful kind of way where you go, oh, I'm finally known, I'm finally seen. We hear people talk about being seen when it's in terms of their pain or heartache but there's another way of being seen that we don't really want, and that's in terms of our ugliness and sinfulness. Yet all of this can bring healing and hope. It creates space for forgiveness, for reconciliation. Dostoevsky says this, and, it's, and it carries this idea of a state of mind to a very sobering conclusion. He says, above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to him or, uh, sorry, the man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to such a pass that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him, and so loses all respect for himself and for others. In having no respect, he ceases to love, and in order to occupy and distract himself, guilt and shame, without love, he gives way to passions and coarse pleasures and sinks to bestiality and vices all from continual lying to other men and to himself. It's possible to live in such a way that we actually invent a world that's created by our lies. We've had a number, Debbie and I have had a number of people like this in our lives over the years. Some people have been absolutely professional liars. And what's most uh, sobering is there comes a point, and I think we may be more deceived than we like to think we are, but there comes a point in our lying where we actually believe our lies. We no longer think that we're lying. We just think that we're always telling what's true. And we've noticed people who are chronic liars, chronic liars that they actually lie about things that don't even really matter. They'll say, you know, oh, I went to Superstore this morning and I bought, and they go, no, I, no, I, saw, you on, I saw you on Main Street. Well, I mean, I just, like it's, they just, they so believe in the lie that they just, it's not even serving them anymore. They just live in a world that they invent. 
Well, in Jeremiah 17, verse verse 9, it says that we all, our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? What if one of the primary problems that we have in following Jesus, our struggles with trusting in him, with being part of community, is that we've actually deceived ourselves into thinking that our way of looking at the world is the correct way of looking. And when we look at others, we think that we're suspicious of them. We think, oh, a church just wants us for for our money and to control us and to brainwash us. You can't really trust any of them because they always have other agendas. I was uh, uh, a very significant Christian figure, uh, particularly in North America, but really around the world. His name is Tim, Tim Keller. He died a few days ago. And it's a great loss. Some of you might never have heard of him, but if you've heard of any preachers, most preachers reference Tim Keller. Uh, He's just a very well-respected man. He passed away. And uh, and I was was going through Facebook. Yes, I'm old. I was going through Facebook um, and looking at people giving condolences. And then a guy comes on, and, uh, and he leaves a comment saying how uh, he might have been better than most evangelical Christians, but evangelical Christians are, and then there was just a bunch of not nice things said. I'm thinking, here's a man who, he just passed away, people are mourning, and you can't get out of yourself for a minute to say, I'm so sorry. You had to make a political comment. Just the insensitivity was profound. What if our struggles are because of lies? What if that's true? Lies about ourself? You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's funny. We, when we lie about ourselves, we say, oh, I'm no good. I'm good for nothing. I'm just... You know, I'm trash, I'm, I'm disrespected. And then somebody says, well, yeah, you are. You go, no, I'm not. I'm really, am. like, you know, it's, but it's, it's just creating a world where we're trying to get people sympathy, but then also ignore what's really right about what's wrong about us. And what if all that stuff is way more harmful than we think it is? Uh, I, I was just reading another book. I... I, I, for some reason, well, I, there's legitimate reasons, but it's not about my personal struggles, but I read lots of books on human sexuality because it's such a hot topic in our society, and I find that uh, inside of the church, people can be incredibly judgmental. Outside of the church, I think they're unkind simply because they endorse everything even though it can be harmful. And so I really care about this topic. So I'm reading a, a book I was in Nashville this week. I was reading a book on the plane coming home. And uh, this woman uh, was writing a a book on on human sexuality. She says that everything that I'm going to write in this book is scientifically based. And it's a, you know, it's a good 250 pages. And uh, just made stuff up. Just, that's not scientific. That's conjecture and uh, assumption and false logic and by science. No, it's not. 
And I'm concerned, we're going to get to the importance of God's word in a minute, but I am so concerned that uh, maybe we've believed lies way more than we think we have. We look at the alcoholic and we go, oh, they're clearly deceived. Maybe we're just like them. There's a, there's a great quote by one of my professors, James Houston. He says, the first uh, sign of self-deception is uh, that you don't believe you're self-deceived. It's the primary way that you, you go, no, 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 everything that I think is, is clear and well thought through. No, whether you've already proven that you're self-deceived because there's just no way that that's true about any of us. Well, what if self-deception is a super big deal for you and I? I think we invent our view of reality much more than we like to admit. Here's where it gets tricky. So lying bad. You know, it'd be nice if the sermon ended there. In Joshua chapter 2, the story is told of a woman who lived in Jericho. She was a prostitute. And uh, when the Israelites were going uh, to uh, move into the promised land, take over the promised land, they sent out spies to just uh, see, I really think about where to apply their faith and where to see how God was going to be victorious in the midst of, of uh, you know, poor odds. But they went to spy the land. They talked to this woman, Rahab, got information, I suppose, and then they, they laughed, and they, uh, then police uh, people come to talk to Rahab, says, did you see any spies? Which way did they go? And she says, well, you know, I think they went that way, but really they went that way. And she lied. She lied. And uh, she was given reward for that. What's really interesting about Rahab is that she's actually in the lineage of the lineage of Jesus, a lying prostitute. I think we all could fit in that lineage. Um, Here's what concerns me when I hear sermons about lying, is that we think that truth is about saying correct facts. So you look at somebody, and uh, you're ugly. Just being honest. I got my facts right. <laughs> For sure you're ugly. And uh, is that telling the truth? We think that truth and facts are the same thing. For sure, facts are part of truth, but they're not all that truth is. Truth is loving. The most truthful things that we can say are the most loving things. And truth and love are not at odds with one another. When Jesus speaks the truth, he looks with compassion on us and says kind and loving things. Even when he performs judgment is because he loves those who were victimized by sin, the sin of others. Truth is kind and loving. And it's not, it's, it, it's too naive to simply say, just so long as I'm saying facts right, that I'm being truthful. We've been quoting Martin Luther throughout this series, uh, first because he's done so much work on the Ten Commandments. He's, a, he's a, our forefather, whether we like it or not. He had lots of issues. Um, 
one of which was one of which was being racist. But he also said lots of lots of things that are either true or cause us to think. And this is one of those that cause us to think. Listen to what Luther says. What harm would it do if a man told a good, strong lie for the sake of the good and for the Christian church? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? A good, strong lie, but it's, you know, it's for the good. A useful lie, a helpful lie. Such lies would not be against God. He would accept them. What do you do with that? This kind of falls under the Rahab, you know, it's a good, strong lie. Well, I didn't see, I think they went that way. That's, a, that's just a lie. What do you do in, in, in uh, you know, World War II and, and you're, you're hiding Jews and the Nazis come and say, do you have any Jews in your house? A super clear statement. I don't have any Jews. There's no Jews in here. That's a lie. Is that a good lie? Or is lying always about saying all the facts accurately? Is that what makes something a truth? These are hard things, right? Somebody comes up and, and, and buys a new outfit, otherwise known as my wife. Uh, you know, and she goes, how do I look? You look good. You've always looked good every time you buy a new outfit. <laughs> you know, if she made a bad clothing choice, did I just, is that, have I sinned against my wife? Well, this is interesting, isn't it? It's just not as clean as we like to think it is. But there's something about being informed by love. There's something about wanting to represent God without question, something about not bending the truth for a self-serving purpose. If I say that there's no Jews in my house, that's not, that's not a self-serving purpose, that's trying to save somebody. There can be room for that, I think. Some of us uh, will say, I'm just being honest. You know, you'll say a rude thing, you know, I'm just being honest. Yeah, but you weren't truthful. You are unkind. One of my landlords would say that all the time, just being honest. No, you're a rude person, and you're hiding behind what you call honesty, and you're cruel to the people around you. That's not telling the full truth. So you get to chew on that and go, what, is that, what does that look like? And there's not simple answers, is there? How, though, do we get freedom from the mistrust that is in our hearts? I can't trust you, God, to take care of me, so I've got to lie at work. I can't say that I did something wrong. If they find out, they're going to fire me. Well, that's a lie. That's, not, that's for self-serving purposes. There's no way to redeem that. How do we get freedom from our mistrust of God, freedom from our fear that if people really saw us, they would judge us and condemn us? And by the way, they might. One of the, uh, you know, when, you're, when you do this preaching thing, you just, get, uh, you just get people think that they know my motives. And so I'll say something and they go, well, you're clearly judgmental. You're clearly. And then inside I want to go, no, I'm not. I'm a good guy. 
And I just say good things like, always. No, I don't. <laughs> and if you really saw my heart, you might not be here. Like, my defense is not my goodness, it's Christ's. And I just want to reflect him. But you, you know, I can be afraid. And either people please, or really make a strong point more strongly than the Bible makes it. I can deceive myself. How do I get rid of fear? How do we get rid of bending things, bending words? How do we get free of all of this? John 8.32 says it very clearly. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know this verse. The truth will set you free. Now, what's interesting about that is that the truth is a person. Jesus sets us free. His, get this, his explanation of reality is the true explanation of reality. My explanation is always biased and distorted. If I was to tell you a story about an argument that I've had with somebody, I'll always color it slightly to me being better than the other person. The truth sets me free from having to defend myself. The truth enables me to go, I was wrong. Yeah, what I did there, that was wrong. Doesn't matter what they did, I did a wrong thing. I'm, I'm free from my distorted explanations, from my distorted uh, interpretation of life, following what Jesus says to be true, delivers me. Now, if truth is a person, then I get set free from lies by abiding or dwelling or resting in that person. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. I was just given a great prophetic word this week that encouraged me to be like a child resting in a mother's or a parent's arms, uh, drawing close to God. And as I'm in him and in his truth, then what comes out of me is his uh, explanation of reality instead of mine. There's no other way to be set free. There's no other way. Matthew 10, 20 says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will, be, it will not be you speaking, but the, whole, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I just find that to be so comforting that as I rest in God and I'm full of him, I can trust that what I say isn't by me choosing my words perfectly, but it's Christ in me speaking out. One of the things that I've either been blessed or cursed with is I have a goldfish memory. I just cannot remember things very well at all. I, have a, I, I just don't have a very good memory. I don't remember names well. Uh, if you ask me for directions, never believe what I say. Uh, I, just have a, I just have a really bad memory. Uh, especially, yeah, anyways, I don't remember things very well. So then I worry about what I say because I talk a lot. And so I go, oh my, this is bad. I don't remember what I said. People say, well, you said this. And you, well, there was a, a plaque in my home growing up. And I love this plaque. It was in between the kitchen and the living room. And so I saw it probably thousands of times growing up. 
and it said this, the greatest thing about telling the truth is you never have to remember what you said. I love that. Because if you tell lies, you're inventing a world, and you have to remember all the details of the world in order to have it be coherent. But if you're telling the truth, I don't have to remember what I said. Um, some people will say, well, you, you, know, you said this, and I go, I don't actually remember what I said, but I can tell you what I believe, and I'd never believe that. There's so much freedom in being able to live by the truth and try to reflect God's reality instead of the world that I create with my own ideas and suspicion and mistrust. We are delivered from lying not by carefully choosing all of our words, not by remembering everything that we say, not by being a legalist and only stating facts. We're delivered from lying by resting in the presence of God and letting his definition of reality transform ours. And now we're walking in the truth. Now we're delivered from a life of lies. So in conclusion, can I please encourage us to love the truth. Love truth. Just love it. Don't love your opinions. Don't enjoy your opinions. Don't be impressed with something that you pull together that you think is terribly wise. It might be, but it also might not be. And the only way that you would know if it is, is if you know this and you know him. Not if it was well constructed. Can we please love the truth? I am so overwhelmed in our world of the strong opinions that you and I feel bullied to believe. And if we don't believe this, we're called a racist or we're called homophobic or we're um, a misogynist. Or in a, if you don't believe the narrative exactly the way that it's portrayed, I know who you are. And it's a world of opinions and, and people uh, creating sound bites to lobby power for particular agendas. And there may even be truth in some of the things that they say. But it's bent in a way that has left far behind the word of truth. My friends, if you and I don't believe this, what are we believing? What's left? If we don't believe the truth of God in the word of God revealed by his spirit, what's left? Don't think what Caroline Leaf says. Don't think that it doesn't affect your mind and your body. Don't, don't think that some of our, our, our mental illness isn't driven by demonic lies that we've come to believe as being real. It's sobering to me. And I pray every day that God would liberate me from my thoughts through receiving his thoughts, even if it is costly. I think that the truth should cost us speaking it out. Not because we've been a bully or or manipulative, or unkind, 
But if we're just wanting to walk through this life without cost, we will become liars. Because the truth of God brings conviction to people's souls, and not everyone wants that, including us sometimes. So, let's know God. Let's know him. I, uh, I love this word so much. I was in, I, I mentioned that I was in Nashville. It was um, a faculty retreat for those who are teaching at Every Nation Seminary. And I'm in a room of, uh, of 20 or so men and women who uh, most had doctoral degrees in theology. And I don't know if it's an appropriate word to describe that, but I felt like a pig in mud. I hope it wasn't mud, but it was just, I got to be with people who have devoted their lives to understanding the truth of this book and to hear them speak such rich and profound truths brought such nourishment to my soul. I don't know where else to find liberation from my lies aside from the word of God. So know God, confess lies, practice being wrong, practice saying I was wrong, practice it. It doesn't come easily to begin with. It takes practice. I've practiced it a lot because I'm wrong so much. And then love fearlessly. Let's be brave in our love, not timid. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. I'll listen to people describe their relationships at work or with people around them, and they're always nice. They never bring a word of correction. And it's just born of fear. Our church will never make disciples, will not change this city unless we figure out how to speak the truth in love. And regardless of whether somebody is your kuya or not, if they've done a wrong thing, they've done a wrong thing. And it's loving to point that out. If people don't point out my sin, they're mean to me. Because I'll do it again. Unless I'm corrected, I'll live in my blindness. I need the church to correct me. I'm not above that. Neither are you. We're in this together, and we need one another to be brought into the light. I fear, maybe it's a concern better than a fear, but I am concerned that discipleship, which means investing in people's lives, helping them become more like Jesus, will not happen in our church if we don't practice speaking the truth in love. Like, when have you corrected somebody for their good that's not your children? Children, I mean, everybody, well, most do. But when have you said to somebody, I love you, I care about you, but what you're saying does not align with the word of God. I'm afraid it's your opinion, it's not the truth. When have you said that to somebody? They might not like you for it. I've had lots of people come up to me and say, I didn't like it when you said that. But I went away, I prayed about it, and you're right, that is what the Bible teaches. We have to be, we have to um, be willing to face rejection for the sake of truth. And I pray with all that's in me that our church 
will be known as a place where truth is found. Not just cold facts, not legalism, but the life of God is spoken here. And, and we speak it amongst one another, and we don't tolerate lies. My friends, we need hundreds of churches in our city standing for the truth of God, not in legalism, but with great compassion and passion. And I pray that we would be this kind of people, not tolerating the lies in us or in others. So we're going to continue to worship. And uh, I would like us to please stand and to pray for us. Father, would you please forgive us for befriending lies, befriending easier ways to speak that don't cost us anything, that don't cause any ripples, that don't make us look bad, that never has any edge to it. God, I pray that we would be a people that don't lie but that we would speak the truth in love and represent your definition of reality instead of our own self-serving definitions. And we know this is hard. We know it's going to cost us. But oh, if we don't speak the truth, then how will anybody hear? And if they won't hear, how will they ever believe? And so I ask, that we would be a Bible-believing community that rests in the presence of God and loves His Word and soaks in it, finding refreshment and delight in that place. Liberate us, we cry out, liberate us from deception. Set us free by the truth of Jesus Christ.